Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Well, I want to start today. The message is called, Where is the Sign of His Coming? And uh, in the book, Great Controversy, page 594, it says, Before his crucifixion, the Savior explained to his disciples that he was to be put to death and to rise again from the tomb. Jesus had repeatedly, you know, told them he was going to be crucified. He was going to be buried. He was going to rise again the, the third day. Over and over he told them that. But then it says, when the time of trial came, it found them what? It found them unprepared. And the death of Jesus has fully destroyed their hopes as if he had not even forewarned them. So we had told them over and over what was going to happen, but when it actually unfolded, it was as though he had told them nothing. And then it says this, so in the prophecies, the future is open before us. The events connected with the close of probation and the work of preparation for the time of trouble are clearly presented, but multitudes have no more understanding of these important truths than if they had never been revealed. And the time of trouble will find them unprepared. And so we can look at the disciples and think, wow, how did they miss it? How could they not have heard and, and uh, taken in what Jesus was predicting so clearly that it was as though he had said nothing when it happened. And then we think of a quote like this and think the very same thing could happen to us if we're not careful. So we know that the world is rapidly coming to an end. Do you believe that? You know, even non-religious people today can sense that time is running out for planet Earth. And we have the God-given task of warning the people of the world that it is, in fact, coming to an end. Are we okay? This will not work? I can just, you want me to just use this? I'll just stay here. It's fine. Thank you, though. <laughs> um, but if we don't know what the events are that are actually going to lead up to the end, how can we actually then warn the world? You know, uh, we're not the first ones to be given this task. There was Noah and the flood. Of course, we have Lot and the city of Sodom. The first century Christians were called to announce the coming destruction of Jerusalem, all in their time. And here we are at the end of time. We're called to, we're called to declare the imminent destruction, not of a single city, but of the entire world. Here in the Spirit of Prophecy, page 441, it says, As the angels of God cease to hold in check the fierce winds of human passion, all the elements of strife will be let loose. The whole world will be involved in ruin more terrible than that which came upon Jerusalem of old. And then it says, of course, this familiar verse in Daniel 12, 1, there's going to be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. 
That takes in a lot, doesn't it? There have been a lot of times of trouble for the world, for God's people, but nothing like what is coming in the future. And so the question is, what can we learn from others who have given the the warning message before us? Well, we know that Noah, Noah did it right. Uh, His urgent appeals went out for 120 years, but Noah not only preached, Noah prepared. He built an ark, and I would argue that, that Noah's hammer was speaking more powerfully than his words. Of course, Lot gave the message, but he hesitated to leave the city himself, and so he lost his wife and barely escaped with his two daughters. The first century Christians recognized the sign that Jesus had warned them about. You remember that uh, the Roman general Cestius, he showed up in Jerusalem with an army, and uh, they thought the destruction of, of, of Jerusalem was imminent. But then, inexplicably, he withdrew his forces and left. And it appeared that Jerusalem was going to be spared from that pending destruction. But then the disciples, the Christians inside the city, they saw the sign that it was surrounded by armies and they left the city and they went out and escaped. And how long did they have to stay out there? Does anybody remember? They remained outside the city for four years. That's a real test of faith, isn't it? For four years, they remained outside the city, and then Titus came back with an army four years later, and of course, Jerusalem fell. But there wasn't one Christian in Jerusalem when Titus came. They saw the sign, they responded, and they were saved. So here's a very important key that we we need to remember. The warning message always seems impossible of fulfillment at the time that it's given. It had never even rained in the time of Noah. Fire and brimstone fell on Sodom, it says in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, it came out of a clear blue sky, just like today. And Jerusalem was looking forward to long years of prosperity when that city fell. Now, if I say to somebody, you know, the world is coming to an end, they might say, how do you know that? And haven't people been saying that for a long time? Well, the Bible addresses that. Of course, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says, uh, knowing this first, that there will come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So when we say, you know, we think the world is is coming to an end, people say, well, where's the evidence for that? And so what do we do? Well, we try to give them some evidence, right? And we say, well, you look at wars and there's rumors of wars. There are famines. There are diseases. COVID-19, we have the conflict in Russia, Ukraine, earthquakes, crime, violence on the rise, pornography, abortion, drug use, alcoholism, divorce, et cetera, et cetera. And so we, we try to pile on the statistics. 
But have you noticed sometimes that people are not really phased by the statistics? And they might say, yeah, but there's always been wars and we've always had earthquakes and we've always had epidemic diseases, crime, violence, immorality, and all of that. Are they right? They are, in fact, right, aren't they? There have always been all of these things. But they need to know that uh, Jesus said that these signs were going to resemble labor pains. And, of course, we know labor pains are not, you know, the pains don't come from a different source. It's all from the same source, but it's getting closer and closer, stronger and stronger, more and more powerful, more and more painful until the delivery. And so we don't want to think that there are, you know, different kinds of signs in the last days. They're really the same kinds of signs, but they're coming with greater frequency, severity, and power. Now, setting labor pains aside, uh, we should also note that the very question, where is the evidence of its coming, is in fact evidence of its coming. How can we be sure of that? Well, in Matthew 24, it says that Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and the disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And so they showed him the magnificent temple, the size of its stones, its immovability. And Jesus said, do you see these things? I say to you truly, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so he predicted the total, complete destruction of that mighty edifice there in Jerusalem, the temple. And then it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, that the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. You're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. These things must come to pass, but the end is what? Not yet. The end is not yet. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. There will be pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And then he said, all these are the beginning of what? Sorrows. Now that's kind of a poor translation when you think about it because uh, the Greek word translated sorrows there is the Greek word odin, O-D-I-N. And that's the word that means labor pains. And so Jesus said, you need to look at these things like labor pains. They're going to start uh, uh, less frequent, further apart, less severe, but then as time goes on, they'll be getting closer and closer, more and more intense, more frequent until the very end. Then he said this, so likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is what? Near. How many believe we should be able to tell when Jesus' coming is near? We ought to know that when it's near, even at the doors. Now, in verse 36, there's a very interesting, beginning of a very interesting passage here. It says, uh, let me go back. 
In verse 36, he says, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But he said, As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah did what? Does it say that they were doing all these things until the flood came? No, it actually says they were doing these things until the day that Noah, what again? Entered the ark. Did it seem that the world was about to end on the day that Noah entered the ark? So what do you think they were saying to Noah on that day? Where is the, where is the sign of its coming? Where are the clouds? Where's the thunder? Where is, where is the sign of rain, much less a flood, right? And then it says in verse 39 that they knew not until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, when I read that one day, I thought, that's very interesting. I asked myself the question, what did they not know? What did they not know? Anybody? Hmm? Well, it struck me that the thing they didn't know is that the day that Noah got onto the ark, what happened to the door? It was shut. And what they didn't know was the day that Noah went to the ark and the door was shut was really their last what? Their last chance, their last opportunity to be saved. And what were they looking for? They were looking for rain to fall or floods to rise, right? Now, when the rain actually started falling and the flood started rising, how many think they tried to get on the ark? Yes. And it wasn't until then that they realized that their last chance had come and gone. Seven days, the Bible says, before the flood came, probation ended for the inhabitants of Noah's day. And what did Jesus say? So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And that tells me then that people that are looking actually for some sign of Jesus coming in the clouds, if they wait for that, it's going to be what? Too late. And they won't know until then that their last chance to be saved has actually come and gone sometime prior to the return of Christ. Now that's kind of sobering, isn't it? When you think about it, it's kind of sobering. If I ask you the question, what is it that actually comes as a thief in the night? By the way, is that phrase actually in the Bible, a thief in the night? Yes? Yeah, it appears in various places. But uh, from my study, what I found is that it's not Jesus' actual appearing that comes like a thief in the night. Uh, we know, according to the Bible, that Jesus is going to come back gradually. Uh, remember when he was taken up 
In Acts 1, 9 to 11, he was taken up and, and received out of their sight. And they stood there gazing. And he was getting smaller and smaller and further and further away until he disappeared. And the angel said, he's coming back in like what? Manner as you saw him go. Well, if he's coming back in the like manner that they saw him go, that tells me he's coming back gradually. We'll see him far away, small, like a size of a man's hand, a black cloud, and then getting closer and closer, brighter and brighter, more and more powerful until we see him in all his glory. Um, it says that uh, every eye will see him coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now that doesn't sound like a thief in the night to me. Does it sound like a thief in the night to you? You know, do you, do you look down the street and say, oh, there's the thief coming and he's getting closer and closer? No. The thief in the night uh, phrase actually applies more to the close of probation that comes before the seven last plagues. And nobody's going to know that. Nobody's going to know when probation actually closes. It will happen like a thief. Just like the closing of the door of the ark in Noah's day. Uh, manuscript 153, uh, page, or I'm sorry, the date is 1905. And it says there, quote, The heavenly messenger said, The time of trouble has come as a what? Thief in the night, as the Lord warned that it would come. So what is it that we are warned is going to happen like a thief in the night? The time of trouble. The time of trouble. Uh, Review and Herald, November 9th, same year. Quote, silently unnoticed as a midnight thief will come the decisive hour which marks the fixing of every man's destiny. Now, there's a Bible verse that, that alludes to this and helps us uh, kind of tie this all together. It's Revelation 22, 11, and 12, where it says, He that's unjust, let him be unjust still. He that's righteous, let him be righteous still. He that's holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is what? With me. So are these words going to be said by anybody on earth? No, these are the words of God, right? These are, these are the words spoken by God from heaven's perspective, looking down at everybody on earth and realizing that everybody's made their decision, everybody's made their choice, nobody's going to be changing sides. And that happens sometime before Jesus comes back with his reward. Now, here's another key thing to understand. The seven last plagues and, and the time of trouble, such as never was, uh, that is not going to be preceded, apparently, by wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and diseases or any other sign we typically point to as evidence of impending doom. On the contrary, the coming destruction of the seven last plagues is going to actually be preceded by the absence of all those things that I just listed. How do we know that? Well, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2, of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. You should know this perfectly, he says, that the day of the Lord comes like a what? Thief in the night. So what's Paul talking about there? 
the end of, end of probation, right? Like a thief in the night. And if you look at the word day there, it means in the Greek, it means fixed time of mercy or judgment. Fixed time of mercy or judgment. So Paul says the fixed time of mercy or judgment will come like a thief in the night. And then in verse 3, he says these very important words. He says, when they say what? What do they say? Peace and safety. What's going to happen then? Sudden destruction comes on them like travail on a woman with child, and they will not escape. Are you with me? So just before the close of probation, are people going to be saying wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilences in different places? Is that what they're saying? They're saying peace and safety. Are they saying that today? Is anybody looking around today and saying, we've got peace and safety? So something's going to change. Something radical and fundamental is going to change here on earth just before probation closes. So like Noah, like Lot, and like the first century Christians, we are called to warn the world of impending destruction at the very time it looks like things are going to continue on and better than ever before. Which means we can't wait for more things to go wrong before we start giving the warning. Amen? In a twist of irony, when people say, where's the sign of his coming? That's actually the greatest sign. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And so the last thing that happens before probation closes, before the seven plagues fall, is the preaching of the gospel in all the world. Why is that? Well, you think about it. The plagues are so awful. The plagues are so devastating. The plagues are so widespread that God's loving message of warning and mercy must be that good. It must be that powerful. It must be that clear. It must be that widespread that everybody has an opportunity before the door of probation closes to be saved. Because the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, John, in Revelation 14, 6 to 10, he saw this happen. He says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those that dwell on the earth, to every nation kindred, tongue, and people. My friends, it's going to happen, isn't it? John saw it happening. The gospel going out to the whole world, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. The hour of his judgment has come. Worship him that made heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Another angel comes saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, the great city. She's made all the nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image, receives his mark in his forehead or hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Those three angels' messages 
are what will divide the world into two parts just before the close of probation. Before the destiny of souls is fixed, before probation closes, before a single plague falls on the earth, these messages must be heard by all the world. Great Controversy 611 says the great work of the gospel is not going to close with less manifestation of the power of God than marked its opening. The prophecies that were fulfilled in the outpouring of the former reign are again to be fulfilled in the latter reign. So we haven't seen anything yet, have we? There is going to be an outpouring of the grace of God, the power of God, the spirit of God upon the world. That is going to lighten the earth, it says, with the glory of God. There will not be anywhere where the truth is not being proclaimed. This one says, servants of God, uh, with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration, hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. By thousands of voices all over the earth, the warning will be given. Miracles will be wrought. The sick will be healed. Signs and wonders will follow the believers. And Satan also works with lying wonders, even bringing down fire from heaven in the sight of men. And thus the inhabitants of the earth will be brought to take their what? Their stand. Their stand. And so human probation closes actually when there is peace and safety on earth, when the prospects for life on earth have never looked better. Just like it did in Noah's day, just like it did in Lot's day, just like it did in the day that Jerusalem finally fell. Now, you might wonder, well, why does God choose to do it this way? Why are are things actually going to unfold the way that they are? Uh, Couldn't God save more people by having probation close at a time of great crisis in the world? Couldn't he save more people that way? You're saying no. And I'd agree. I'd say if the answer to that question is yes, then wouldn't God do it that way? Because he doesn't want any to perish. But I think he knows that if we only get ready for the kingdom of God in an extreme crisis, then we're not actually going to be able to live in the kingdom of God for eternity, where there'll never be a crisis of any kind. Have you thought about that? What are we going to have throughout all eternity? Peace and safety. So think about it. What we do in times of peace and safety is actually more indicative of how we would live in the kingdom of God. If in times of peace and safety and prosperity, it causes us to love this world be comfortable in this world, to settle down here and live for this world, then in God's kingdom, we might still be longing for this world. And if the only way that God can sort of, you know, pry our hands off the things of this world is by some crisis, then we really haven't stopped loving this world. And so my appeal today is we must learn to to serve the Lord with all our hearts in times of prosperity, in times of peace, 
in times of plenty because we love him, not out of fear of some crisis, not a fire escape religion where we make promises that we're not intending to keep. We can't wait for more things to go wrong before we get ready for Christ and his kingdom as though that's, that's just an alternative to pain and suffering in this life. I guess if we do that, we'll never really get ready in our hearts. And how many of us here today, if we were honest, might be saying in our hearts, you know, I'm watching the signs, I'm watching the economy, I'm watching politics, I'm, I'm watching natural disasters, and when things reach a certain point, I'm going to make my move. I'm going to get serious. I'm really going to prioritize my life, my values, and I'm going to get myself ready. I'm going to kick it into high gear. Now, don't misunderstand, God uses all these things. But he doesn't use them to get us ready. He uses them to tell us that our time to get ready is running out. Our time to grow to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is running out. And so as we near the very end, uh, things are not going to get worse and worse. They're actually going to get better and better until we're told when the whole world settles on this issue of the mark of the beast and all the world wonders after the beast and receives the mark of the beast, people are going to be saying, this is the long-awaited millennium we have looked for. This is the long-awaited thousand years of peace on earth that we've been praying and hoping for. And Satan himself will be there posing as Christ, working miracles, quoting the Sermon on the Mount, doing and saying everything people expect Jesus to say and do, and it will appear as though the world has been converted. And so the question today is, who loves the Lord Jesus more than the best this world has to offer on its very best day? Who loves the Lord more than worldly peace and prosperity? Who loves the Lord more than worldly success and honor? Who will choose Jesus over all of that? And those who do, they will be the remnant who have the seal of God in their foreheads. And so let me just ask you again, is time running out? On planet Earth, is time running out? If it, is, if it is, then it just means that we have little time left to come to know God and love him more than anything in this world. Those antediluvians, did they finally make it to the ark? They did. They made it to the ark. But they were too what? late. Oh, the foolish virgins in the parable of Matthew 25. Did the virgins make it to the wedding? They did. 
but they were too late. And many Christians, dare we say possibly many Adventists, will get to the wedding too late. And so let's devote the precious time that we have left to getting to know the Lord, what do you say? Because Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That takes time in prayer, meditation, Bible study, in service, not because of a crisis, but because we want to know the Lord, amen? If you go off to Walmart and don't come back because of some shooter somewhere, that's the end of our time, isn't it? To get to know the Lord. And if you, we lose our lives in some kind of tragedy, un, unexpected natural disaster of some kind, that's the end of our time to get to know the Lord. And so... Let's just purpose in our hearts to redeem the time. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for uh, warning us today that time is running out through all the things we see happening in the world and reminding us that it's important to know how these end time events will unfold, that we not be found unprepared. Help us learn from the mistakes of the disciples long before us, help us be watchful, awake, watching in prayer. And Lord, as we're watching and preparing for the end of all things and the close of probation, we pray that you'll help us to redeem the time, that we'll take the precious time we have, not to focus on the things of this world and this life, but that we'll be taking the time to get to know you, which is eternal life. And so bless us in prayer, scripture study, meditation, serving you with our gifts so that when these things unfold, we'll be strong in the spirit, we'll be strengthened with might, we'll be able to discern and make the right choices and decisions and that we can be found among those who finally look up and say, this is our God, we've waited for him and he will save us, is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.